Seated? Glad that you're here on a big games. One in an Eagles jersey and one in the Dive Chiefs jersey. Oh my goodness. If you guys are not fighting by the end of the sermon, then I have not done my job. Okay? <laughs> That's my, my plan is just to distract you for a minute so we can get them mad enough at each other so that they'll throw blows. Anyway, my name's Tyler. So glad you're here. So much th- th- glad that you guys are joining us online as well. We've been in a series uh, for uh, called All in Hope, and just looking at different hope stories in the scriptures. We're going to be in the New Testament this morning, and the idea is today is usually we have some kind of vision Sunday where we talk about what we think the Lord is up to in the life of our church and individually. Uh, so that's kind of where we are, and we've tied it in as well. There's a study guide uh, if you want to grab grab it on the way out and, and kind of do a deeper dive in what we're talking about this morning. Uh, last week, Travis shared um, in our series, uh, God in the Hills and the Valleys. Uh, what a powerful message of where we've, we might be in the valley. We don't think he's there. We see him in the hill. We, see him in, we might be on the hill. We see him in the valley. But he's always there, especially just like he's there in Turkey right now. And what a valley that is, that he's also here as we're wearing our favorite tin colors and, and looking forward to a big game. Um, you know, and, and I, I love I love football, uh, obviously, right? Um, I love college football, especially. Um, you know, and, and 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 it's you see stuff like that happens. It kind of pale. It kind of dampens the mood a little bit in some ways. But there are things that you and I could do, which is to be praying that the gospel would move forward in the midst of tragedy. You're like, I don't know what to do. We pray. We pray. We pray that people's needs will be met. We, we pray that people will experience Jesus for the first time because we know, right, that those of us that are followers, that our needs are ultimately met no matter what happens on this planet in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that would be my word of encouragement for you today and that God would be a God of hills and valleys in Turkey just like he is in our lives. Amen? Amen. All right, but, you know, it is big game Sunday as we get ready for the big game tonight. It got me thinking about football, and, you know, there's a ton of hope in football. That's why we decided to tack this one in today. Uh, you know, we've got Travis and his Eagles, the Cowboys every year as well, right? Like, we, there's all the hope, and, and then we fall just a little short, right? Tennessee as well, like we have, we've been in the wilderness for, it feels like 40-something years, and a generation fell, and we had a good season this year. Uh, but it got me thinking, what is the most hopeful play in sports, in football, right? Because that's what this series is about, all in home. What's the most hopeful play? The Hail Mary. There it is. Amen. All right, I'm done. I'm going to pass the hat and we're going to be done. No, it's the Hail Mary, right? It's the Hail Mary. Think about it. It's the last second play. It's the last ditch effort. It's all our hopes pinned on this one dream, this one chance to make it right as we try to finish the game well. As a matter of fact, here's a great example of a Hail Mary when it goes right. So let me show this for you. Yeah, the video. There we go. Hey, hey. Oh, no. Dobbs heaves it. They're bunched up in the end zone. It's tipped up. It's caught. It is caught. The best part is Kamara sitting up here. We had to have Kamara for a while, by the way. Here he is. Hold on. That guy, he's not a coach anymore, so that's good. (laughs) I love that. 
But there it is, right? What you don't know, this is the last time we beat Georgia, by the way, so we're still kind of not all the way out of the wilderness. But here's the thing. Here's, a, here's the thing about the SEC. I got to love them because Jesus commands me to, but I don't want them to win, right? And there's a difference, right? So there you go. But here's the thing. What you don't know is four seconds before that play, Georgia went ahead. We had Georgia beat, and then they threw a big bomb and went ahead, and we had a kickoff and one throw, and it worked, right? And that's the thing. Like, I know it's a, a dumb example on Football Sunday, but I think there's a double lesson in the Hail Mary, right? We get passages in the Bible that, are, that have double meanings. Uh, it would be saying something very specific, but it also has things to say overall our general spiritual lives. And while Tennessee beating Georgia is not Scripture, although it should be every year, I think we live our spiritual lives. Now, don't miss this, okay? This is, don't miss this. I think we live our spiritual lives often at one Hail Mary at a time. We live our spiritual lives one Hail Mary at a time. Here's what I mean by that. We get the idea. If we do this study, if we have this quiet time, you know, I haven't done this in a while. Let me just do this one thing. Let me listen to this podcast because there's so many out there. Let me pray this way. Let me worship. I got to have worship. I got to be pressed into worship today because I've just been in a, in a weird place that it will solve all of our problems just like the hell Mary did in that video. Now, here's the thing. It will get us closer to God, right? That certainly, we want to be close to God, but sometimes one prayer, one deep bomb down the field is not enough. One deep bomb is not enough. Speaking of the NFL today, uh, I did some uh, statistics uh, diving this week. And so this is the content that you came here for. From the year 2009 to 2020, only 9.7% of Hail Marys were completed. Right? How many years is that? 11 years. Over an 11-year period, less than 10%, less than one out of every 10 Hail Marys was completed. But isn't that funny? This is the most exciting play in football, but yet less than 10% are completed, which leads us to truth number one. Truth number one is spiritual Hail Marys, like football Hail Marys, have a high failure rate, and they don't accomplish much. Can I say that again? Yeah. Spiritual Hail Marys, like football Hail Marys, have a high failure rate, and they don't accomplish much, because for every... Hail Mary, if we, you know, that, that video that we just showed was the one that was completed, you know, we would show another 10 that weren't. Or if we showed you 10 that were completed, another 90 wouldn't be, right? Let's just move it up. If we show you 100, another 1,000 wouldn't be completed. But yet we live our lives, I think, one spiritual Hail Mary at a time. And so the question is, what is actually successful for discipleship? Meaning, what does it mean to be successful in growing to be more like Jesus and living a kingdom life? Because that's the whole point of this, right? It's not just the worship. It's not just this to, uh, to, to be in community. There's more to it. And if the goal in football is to score points, right? Ultimately, the football game is a great arbiter of what life is because there's a scoreboard. But our spiritual lives, the scoreboard's a little bit more gray. It's a little bit more nebulous. Agreed? And the idea is, is that the scoreboard in our kingdom lives is that spiritual eyes and that we would have spiritual eyes, we'd ask for those. That was weird. 
I was like, oh my goodness, somebody's doing something, and I don't know what that is. I'm not singing. I did that Friday night. Uh, I'm not singing. Uh, uh, we, had, we, we got a chance to host uh, international students from UTA on Friday night, and they had some karaoke, and so I was asked to sing, and I was like, that's about the scariest thing on the planet to do, by the way, is to sit in front of a, a room full of people and sing. And uh, I was asking someone this morning, Emmanuel, about it. He goes, yeah, you did good. I go, what do you really think? And he goes, yeah, you did good. And I go, no, what do you really think? And he said, you did good. And then he said, you did better than I would have. I go, well, how would you do? He goes, not that good. And I'm like, well, that doesn't help. Come on. That doesn't help at all. But asking for spiritual eyes, back to what the scoreboard looks like for our kingdom lives, asking for spiritual eyes, becoming more mature spiritually, becoming more mature in wisdom, and most importantly, becoming more like Jesus. Now, I say that last week uh, while Travis was teaching, I was in our middle school ministry, which I had the awesome opportunity to do, and we started our lesson with this. It's, it was a, what's a defining moment in your life? And there were lots of defining moments. There were lots of defining moments in the lives of our middle school students. And they were really active. It was a great conversation. But here's the interesting thing. I ended the point a second ago, becoming more like Jesus. Notice I started with doing things. And I ended with becoming more like Jesus, which flows out of a heart posture, not what we do with our hands. It flows out of who God wants us to be, who he's made us to be. When you think about our unique identity and our gift set, our gift set, and all the examples of their defining moments, because they're kids, right? They're like, "Well, I did this, and I did that, and I did this, and I did that, and this happened." And there's some great things happen in the lives of our students. And I started thinking, "Gosh, if we were in there and they were in here, which who knows how that would work out? Like, I wonder how we would answer the question: Will we answer the question of what we're doing or who we are?" Will we answer the question of what we're doing with our hands? Because that's the easy measurement, right? That's pretty scoreboardish. But yet God wants us to be who he wants us to be. And that doesn't automatically flow out of what we do. It flows out of who we are. And I'll say this. Like one of the things that I want to see really come to fruition here when I think about vision is, is I don't want to just do what God asks us to do. I want to be who God wants me to be. And I think we flip it. To put it on the fact of what we do, that seems like a Hail Mary as opposed to something different, right? Or to put it simply, for one word for this year for Crossroads, and I hope for you, is fruitfulness, which works itself out from the heart, inner, the inner heart outwardly to our hands and where God has us in our lives. Fruitfulness, that's what he's calling us to this year. And so what is the opposite of a Hail Mary, Right? Well, on a football field, it's sustained drives like this one. We're going to show another video. Looking to throw. Scanning things, throwing, and complete. And he got it to Ramel Keaton again. He's taking midfield. Hendon Hooker can't take a sack. Double clutches. Throws. It is caught. Did they get the timeout? Yes, they did. Paxton Brooks to hold. Chase McGrath. For the win for the Volunteers. From 40. On the way, a knuckleball. He got it! Oh, sorry, you lost. Look at that. 
And here they come. Saban just passed the torch, I think. I hope. I got to see, hold on, we're going to run it real quick. Okay. Um, I got to watch all my friends and family from Knoxville, which is where I'm from, send all their photos and all that on the thing. And I just want to say one thing real quick, is when we figure out who God wants us to be, not just what God wants us to do, that's what heaven does. It rushes the field because we are now stepping in into the person that Jesus died and resurrected for you and for me to be. Isn't that beautiful? That's it. It's not the Hail Mary. It's a sustained drive. That's what our spiritual lives are supposed to be. By the way, there's a picture here. That guy was at the end. That guy is my spirit animal for this year, you know? Like, I just, like, that. I, I think about him all the time. I have no idea who he is. But he's just like, I mean, like, just the, the jubilation and the joy over a football game. And when I think about the opportunities here in this room, in Arlington, in our state, and in our world, like Turkey, like, that's what our spiritual lives should be celebrated like. That's what our spiritual lives should be celebrated about. So this year, fruitfulness is our vision, and it looks Two ways, two ways. One is connection, connection with Jesus, because if we don't start with Jesus, then we might as well just like call it a day, right? But then also connection with others, right? And we'll make that, I'll make that argument here in just a second. But connection with Jesus, connection with others is the first way. And then two, the whole point of this thing is to give our lives away in service to him and others, in service to him and others. That's what fruitfulness is going to look like, I think, this year. And so I want to uh, show you three scriptures that illustrate the points, those two points. First one is in John 14, John chapter 14, starting in verse 6. I just want to read this over us this morning. Jesus is in the upper room at this point. He's meeting with his disciples. He's about to go to the garden. He's going to be arrested. So that's where we are in the point of the story and Jesus says this, Jesus said to him, actually, I'm going to back up. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus talking about leaving. They're freaking out. They're like, what does this mean? Are we supposed to follow him? Like, is he going to leave the room? Is he going to like go get something and come back? And Thomas is saying, I don't know the way. What are we supposed to do? And Jesus says this to him in verse 6. Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Fruitfulness for you and for me and our church begins with a regular connection with Jesus. Not Hail Mary's, but a regular connection. Just regular drives down the field. And connection implies relationship, doesn't it? Right? If we want to be connected to Jesus, we have to be in a relationship. And look how this works in the scriptures. Look how it works. See, Jesus said, it's just three simple things. The way, the truth, and the life. And I think, unfortunately, we throw bombs down the field thinking that will lead to life when it has such a high failure rate, when instead Jesus is saying, no, actually, if you connect with me and you follow me in my ways, which will lead to the truths, which actually lead to the life of Jesus. See how that works? It's pretty simple. 
right? The ways of Jesus lead to the truths of Jesus, which lead to the life of Jesus, which you and I are supposed to have no matter what our circumstances are. He doesn't call us to death. He doesn't call us to lostness. He doesn't call us to lies. He calls us actually to truth, to his paths, and to his life. To have connection with Christ should ultimately lead to life with Christ. And I get it. Like, we all have those spots and those seasons where we dabble, right? We're like, gosh, you know, it's been several weeks. I need to do something. Let me do this thing. When, in fact, actually Jesus, all he wants to do is just to call us back into a regular relationship with him, just like we would sit across the table from him and have coffee or tea or share a meal. Which leads us to truth number two. Truth number two is life in Christ leads to hope in our world and our circumstances. It's the only thing. It's the only thing. Life in Christ. No football game, no records, no colors, no money in the bank account, no health, None of that leads to the life that Jesus is talking about because the life that Jesus talks about lives forever and it goes well beyond after the scoreboard goes dark. It goes well beyond after the scoreboard goes dark. Right? We can't have a healthy relationship with Jesus via spiritual Hail Marys. It has to be intentional and regular. It has to be intentional and regular, which leads us to the second half of item one, which is our, out of our connection with Christ flows our connection with others. See that? We can't have a connection with others without a connection with Jesus. But we often do it a different way. We often actually get it backwards. If we have a connection with a specific person, like I've been here, right? Like I've had mentors in my life. I'm like, gosh, I just want to be around this person because they help me feel so close to Jesus. They help me feel calm in the midst of the storm. They help me find peace in our lives. When in fact, what's happening is we're substituting them for Christ in our lives. We're substituting them for Christ in our lives, which is the definition of a Hail Mary, isn't it? Like, why spend the, do the hard work of actually maintaining my relationship with Jesus when I could just be in this study or with this person or I could sit next to him. I don't know, right? But we all do this because it's a lot easier to be around people than it is to actually put aside what I want, what I don't have, and actually be submissive to my relationship with Jesus. I love this. Fruitfulness with Jesus, fruitfulness with Christ, leads to fruitfulness with others. See that? This is the whole thing. John 13 34 and 35 says this. Just a couple of words before Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says this. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's it. That's the ball game, folks. That's the ball game. Our love for Christ filters and flows out of our lives as we love other people, not the other way around. Now, God oftentimes uses relationships to draw people to himself, but then he reverts the flow back to it's Christ first, people second, right? And I can't love people well if I'm not being loved and loving Jesus well, because I won't love them like he loves them, love me. 
The only way I love people like Jesus loved me is if I'm sacrificial, if I'm servant-oriented, if I put my needs aside. Like, there's all the verses. We could spend the next 10 weeks talking about verses and what it looks like to love like Christ, to live like Christ, to serve like Christ. But we don't have that kind of time, do we? Or maybe we do. As Christ has loved us, so are we to love others. That's the pattern of fruitfulness down the field of our spiritual lives that God is calling us and our church to this year. Right? And I think we forget this. I'm just going to go here for just a moment because it's an easy, you know, it's, this is like the, the number one whack-a-mole. You remember that game? Right? Right? Remember that game? It's, it's cathartic sometimes, like when my kids are being crazy. I, instead of like whacking them on the head, I go to find this game and whack the heck out of the moles kind of thing, right? It's that way I could be a halfway decent parent, which I'm not most of the time. But I think we forget this sometimes. In a world that is so divisive and angry, right? Let me just say it again. This world is, our country has never been more divided and more angry, more triggered more disagreements that I think we think that we're exempt from loving people who don't think like us, look like us, have the same political ideas as us, when that's absolutely can't be further from the truth. Further from the truth. The truth, excuse me, which leads us to truth number three. Because Jesus loves us, so must we love others. So must. Not kind of, not when it makes sense, not when it's easy, not when there's alignment, not when it's, you know, it's actually love is demonstrated when it's hard and it's costly and it causes us to go somewhere that maybe we don't want to go. Now, that doesn't mean that we forget who we are and what God has asked of us. And yet we are still called to love others because if we love Christ, then we have to love others as he is our king. As he is our king. And the idea of, I think, is that maybe those things are mutually exclusive of one another's when it's convenient, when actually they're inclusive. And you can't have one without the other. So if you're not loving people, if we're not loving people well as individuals, as Christ followers, and as a church, then I, I would say that probably if we check the scoreboard, then we're not loving Jesus well. But on the other hand, if we're not loving Jesus well, there's no way in the world that we'll ever put ourselves out there to love people well either. Right? Fruitfulness. Hail Marys do not get the job done. Hail Marys are drive-bys. Spiritual drive-bys that lead to little to no life. And so the first pillar of our vision of fruitfulness this year at Crossroads is connection with Jesus and connections, connections with others, which leads us to the second. Because we have a connection with Jesus and a connections with others, we're supposed to serve those connections. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We're sticking on the board. Verses 7 and 8. This is Paul writing of Christ. Which is, this is Christ's priestly ministry. And he said, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a what? A servant. Being born in the likeness of men. Jesus was here. I, went, I pray that he would wear Tennessee colors. I don't think he would, but you know, one could hope and dream. Right? Being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Service. Serving. This is where our fruitfulness impacts the world around us because when we are freely loved and to love, we are also free to serve. Notice I said freely loved. Did you know that you are freely loved by Jesus? And you are free to love, and in that love, we are free to serve. This is where hope is found. This is it. But man, everything that I have in my being claws against that, doesn't it? Even this week, how many opportunities did I have a chance to, do we have opportunities to be his hands and feet, to recognize his presence in our lives, to recognize how we could bring his presence to the world around us? And I'm just interested in the things that I'm interested in, right? Nothing wrong with that. But if I'm ambivalent toward his movement in my life via the Holy Spirit, then I'm missing the point. I'm not here to just be here for me. I'm here to be here to reflect him. And everything that we have in the flesh resists that. We get stuck when we think we have to have a person or persons in our life too, right? Back to that point, when we think that we have to have this person in our life to make this work, goodness gracious, we get it all backwards, don't we? We get it all backwards. To have Christ and serve the world. Relationships are important. They're key. That's how the kingdom works. That is the kingdom economy, is relationships. But when we make relationships the king of our lives as opposed to the relationship with Jesus, then we miss the point. And it works this way, too. If I could just get the right teammates on my team, if I could get people around me thinking like I think or seeing the world how I want to see them, right, then I am free to serve because I have hope, because we do have hope. And that's, by the way, our greatest weapon together. I think it's interesting to me that we spent a year in a, in a book of the Bible that talks about unity, about togetherness. And now he's saying, okay, it's time to put y'all's money where your mouth is. Right? Stop chucking Hail Marys down the field because here's truth number four, and I want you to receive this this morning. Okay, It's going to be couched in sports language, but it is absolutely true. I could spend the next two hours showing you where it's true, but it's this. You and I, we are Jesus' draft pick to serve others in the world. We are his draft pick. I don't know if you ever feel like, I mean, if you watch the NFL draft, I don't know if you, like, you know, the first round has the most guaranteed money and then it kind of drops off from there, but... Do you see when people get drafted what their face looks like? Like they've been received and accepted? We are Jesus' draft pick. We are Jesus' draft pick. And like the NFL draft or the NBA draft or whatever, like, you know, sometimes teams will start swapping picks, right? And that just happened this week, you know, with Kyrie coming to Dallas and Kevin Durant going to Phoenix. And like I listened to a podcast about it for like 30 minutes of like, they get the next five picks you know, every other year, first-round picks, and they got to swap all this. And I'm like, how in the world do you keep? It's like worse than the IRS. I don't know how they keep track of all the math. I don't understand that. But Jesus doesn't actually is not looking for someone else to trade up or trade down to get rid of you. 
He's not. Jesus is not going to trade up or trade down to get better picks. You are his pick. No matter where you've been picked or haven't been picked or not been chosen or feel not chosen, Jesus died and resurrected and walked his self out of the grave to make you his pick. And just like draft day, we'll get to heaven one day and we'll put on a new heavenly, a new, pure, unbroken, physical body like they put on the number, you know, the jersey that the, the team they get drafted on and we'll never, ever, 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 ever take it off again. Now, if that doesn't make you feel hopeful, I don't know what does. But here's the thing. We shouldn't wait to play the game there when we have a game to play we shouldn't wait to play the game here because we have a game to play here. Jesus does not trade up or trade down to get better picks, meaning that he's not waiting on some other player to do what he's drafted you and me to do. And for this year, it's very simple. It's connection with Jesus and with others and to give our lives away. And just like I was saying a second ago, how there are guaranteed contracts in, in, in sports leagues, Jesus is our guarantor of our contract. Meaning no matter what we do, whether we do it or we don't, or we don't do it all the way right, we cannot break the contract because the contract is not dependent upon you and for me. It's dependent upon his death and resurrection. He's not going to trade us away because we get it wrong or we lose games, of which I do all the time. But I am secure in him. So I don't know if you don't feel very hopeful right now. Maybe you are, maybe you're not, maybe this is a good space, maybe it's not. But right now, the best cure for hopelessness is servanthood. You don't feel good, you don't feel like you're in a good place, and actually we press in. Servanthood is the best remedy for hopelessness because we find hope and purpose in laying it on the line for someone who needs the kind of Jesus that Jesus put in you and me. Notice I didn't say what we do, because there's the, that's, the, that's the messiness of this journey, isn't it? Because it's easier to say, well, I don't do that. I don't have that skill set. When actually all Jesus wants you to do is reflect him in who you are and who he's making you to be in his death and resurrection. You know what that looks like when we lay ourselves down and we, on behalf of someone else, you know what that's like? You ever see a quarterback throw blocks down the field? Right? And, and, the, and the announcers, like, you know, especially, you know, I've got a couple of favorite crews, and they get really animated, and they start freaking out, right? But you see it, right? Ah, oh, he threw a block down the field, Jim, I don't know. That's my Tony Romo impression, sorry. Um, those are great, because Tony, I don't know, like, they had this, you know, he's played so much football. I know he was a cowboy at one point, I'm sorry. But anyway, um, Right, like he knows what's going to happen. Where, oh, they're coming to the line, Jim, I don't know. You know, and he's like doing all this stuff. But when a QB, the QB is the most valuable person on the field from a contract standpoint, from a team standpoint, from all the winning goals. And when QBs decide to throw blocks down the field to win the game, everybody freaks out because they don't want them to get hurt because they don't know how to block, right? Because they haven't been hitting so long, right? Because they're so valuable. But they give themselves up anyway. That's why, that's why it's such a quarterback-driven leap. Can I just say something real quick? You guys are each in the kingdom supposed to be quarterbacks. 
We're supposed to be quarterbacks. You right now are the most valuable part to God's kingdom that you're supposed to play in. You are a QB. You're not sitting on the bench. We're not supposed to sit on the bench. Jesus didn't die for us to sit on the bench. And here you go. This is not even my notes. I'm just off the rails at this point. This is what happens, right? But here you go. You know the Gatorade bath at the end, and there's like prop bets. Like that's the greatest. You know that's the most number one bet for the game today is what color the Gatorade's going to be? Do you know that? That's true. Guess what? You and I are bathed in the blood that Christ shed for you and for me. We are already champions in him. So the question I have as we turn our our attention from the scriptures today to our hearts is this. How long have you relied on spiritual Hail Marys? Right? This is a year where all of us in our each, in our unique way, according to our unique identity, get to press into fruitfulness as opposed to Hail Marys. So when you watch the game tonight, and this is a couple of things. We're almost, the band's going to come back up. When you watch the game tonight and you happen to see one, I want you to think, God, you don't call me to live that kind of spiritual life. You actually call me to just work the ball down the field. I hope my prayer is that every time you see a Hail Mary for the rest of your life, you'll think, Jesus doesn't want me to do that. He wants me to do something else. Because we are not called to pin all of our spiritual hopes in one act and in one thing. But it is every day to the best of our abilities, knowing that he will never, ever, ever dump our contract. Amen? Amen. She stand and, and we're going to pray. And so I just would say, like, as, as we sing, if you need prayer, like, you can come down the front. That's fine. Uh, if you want prayer afterwards, you can do that, too. You know, and what I want you to ask the Lord to reveal to you is this, is what does it look like to me, Jesus, to be fruitful and consistent this year instead of chucking the ball deep, right? What does it look like for me to love others as I try my best to love you? You know, and here's the thing, like we can't, if you're living life alone, you're not meant to do that, right? And so we have places here for you to be connected and to grow spiritually, you know? And here's the other thing. Just ask, Jesus, do I spend more time on the bench than I do on the field? Man, that's a scary prayer, isn't it? But man, we find freedom there. We find hope when we pull ourselves off the bench and we say, Lord, you use me to whatever capacity that you've called me to and help me be the person that you died that you want me to be. Because the love of Jesus that someone needs it's within you right now. I believe that you are uniquely made to reflect that love to someone in the world. The question is, do you know who that person is or persons or that type of people? And are you reflecting it? Because that's the next step. I think we're together, right? We're starting to see ourselves as, as, as draft picks. Now it's time to get ourselves on the field. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. God. As we pray and as we sing, Lord, I'm thankful that you could take something as meaningless in eternity as a football game. And you could show us our part in the kingdom with you. At the end of the day, 
it's entertainment and it's fun and we're all going to eat all the things and we're going to do, we're going to watch all the commercials and we're going to judge the halftime show. We're going to do all the things that we do. But God, I want us to think as we sing and as we pray and ask where we are in relation to what it looks like to be connected to you and to others and to give our lives away. What are we going to do Monday morning? Because that's the ball game. And I don't mean that as judging or condemning anyone. I have lots of things I'm going to do tomorrow morning and not all that's going to be about you. But God, what you want from us is to be who you want us to be and play the way you want us to play. So God, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that your story and your sacrifice goes far beyond the color of the Gatorade tonight. And so as we sing, I pray that we would make it so. And I pray, Lord, that as we watch the video of fans rushing the field and people celebrating tonight, Lord, that we would get that excited about being your hands and feet. Don't have, we can't stay there all the time because we still live in a broken world and we have flesh. May God reframe our vision towards fruitfulness. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.